0: This morning, I want to take you by an eye of faith to an upper room in the city of Jerusalem. It's the time for the annual Jewish feast of the Passover. Jesus is in that upper room with the twelve, and he has eaten the Passover with them that night. The shadow of the cross on Calvary's hill is already looming large over Jesus. He's going to die. And he's going to die in a way that's reserved for the most hardened of criminals of that day and time. But before Jesus goes away, he has one more thing he wants to definitely teach those men that night. And this is what he says to them in John chapter 13 and verses 34 and 35. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. You see... You don't need a lapel pin that's red and shaped like a heart that says, I love Jesus to prove to the world you love the Lord. And you don't need a bumper sticker that says, Honk if you love Jesus to prove that you love the Lord. Jesus says, If you love me, You'll keep, Jesus says, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now bear in mind, this is not the first time Jesus has told his disciples to love. But this is a new commandment in the way that he's telling them to love as they have never loved before. He says they are to love each other the same way that He has loved them. And He tells them what love looks like. By this shall all men know you're My disciples, if you have love one for another. We don't need the bumper sticker. We don't need the lapel pin. We just need to have love in our hearts for each other. You know, it's one of those things, You remember the old saying, well, love makes the world go round? Well, love may not make the world go round, but it makes the trip worthwhile. We need to have love for each other. And in our day and time, there is a great burning need for old-fashioned biblical love. And love is something that's extremely hard to explain. Ask me to define love, and I can't, but I know it when I see it. It's hard to express. The kind of love Jesus wants us to have for each other, it's hard to put into words. Romantic love is something that's hard to put into words. Have you ever heard someone stammer and stutter and stumble trying to explain romantic love? Or have you ever tried to explain it yourself? People that try to explain romantic love often end up like the legalistic young preaching student I read about in college one time. This legalistic young preaching student, he wanted to make sure he had a thus saith the Lord for everything he did. He was preparing for the ministry. And he wanted to make sure he had a scriptural basis for all of his actions. He felt like no matter what he did, he was on solid ground. If he could quote the Bible, book, chapter, and verse to approve of his actions. And life was going famously for him. Everything was going beautifully well until one day in one of his classes, he met a beautiful young co-ed. A vision of loveliness. Most beautiful girl he had ever seen in his life. And they started to go out. They would go to dinner and they would eat in the dining hall together and they would go to the movies and he fell in love. And so desperately, this legalistic young preacher boy wanted to kiss that girl that he had met. But true to his conscience, he just couldn't do it. So simply every night he would walk her to the dormitory, look deep into her eyes longingly, and nod and say good night. And this went on for weeks. And all during this time he is frantically searching his Bible. He's looking, he's trying to find some place book, chapter, and verse that will give him permission and approval to kiss this young co-ed good night. And finally, one day, he thought he found it. Because he found a passage in Paul's letter to the Romans where Paul said, greet one another with a holy kiss. Ah, that's it. But then he went and talked to his hermeneutics professor and he said, no, no, that's in the setting of of the church that it talks about the, the holy kiss. That deals with... The, church setting and Paul nowhere in that has reference to you kissing a beautiful young co-ed. So once again he simply did not have a passage of scripture to okay kissing this girl good night. Well that night he walked her to her dormitory after they'd been to the movies and once again he started to nod and bid her good night and as he nodded his head she grabbed him She pulled him close, and she planted a 15-second kiss right on his lips. At the end of that kiss, that young preacher boy is gasping for air. He's about to go into a full-blown anxiety attack. And he says, Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse. She grabbed him a second time, and she said, Whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them? And she planted another kiss right on his lips. If someone asked you right now, Describe romantic love. How would you express it? Well, you'd try to explain maybe that the butterflies in your stomach seem like they're in the strategic air command. They're just flying all the time. Or how do you explain to someone, no, I, no, I really can communicate in complete sentences. I just can't do it around some members of the opposite sex. Someone one time said romantic love. Well, that's a inward expressibility of an outward all-overishness. Figure that one out. Well, love is that feeling you feel when you're going to feel a feeling that you've never felt before. You can explain that one to me later. Love. It's just something that's hard to express, isn't it? Well, that kind of love that I'm talking about there is romantic love. How much more difficult is it to try to explain the love of God? How would you go about explaining the love Jesus speaks of when He says, A new commandment I give you. I want you to love one another the same way I've loved you. This is how people will know you're My disciples, He said, if you have love One for another. Maybe the best way is the example Jesus gives us in His own life right before He teaches them this. Remember, they're sitting there eating the Passover. And they've made arrangements for the room. They've made arrangements for the Passover meal. But they forgot to make arrangements for a servant to wash the feet of those that are in attendance. And so they finished supper that night. And you think about this. They walked everywhere they went. They wore sandals. The streets were dusty. It was the streets were hot. No doubt their feet were dirty. They were sore. Foot washing was a very common practice. It was something a good host always did for his guests. He provided a servant to wash the feet of the guests. The disciples, the twelve, they're having an argument. The same kind of argument they had many, many times. They're arguing over which one of them is the most important. They're arguing over which one of them is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And while the disciples are having an argument over who's the greatest, Jesus takes a towel and He girds Himself with a towel. He takes a basin of water and He goes around the room and He washes the feet of every one of those twelve men. He even washed the feet of Judas, the one who was going to later him. He gave them a concrete example of love and humility. You see, the washing of feet was Jesus' example of selfless love. That was a custom, as I said, in Bible times. It said in verse 4 that Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garments took a towel and girded himself. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Imagine if you've walked all day on the dusty streets of Palestine to have someone wash your feet. It would be not only cleansing, but it would be refreshing. It would relax you. It would renew you it would restore you because all of us know if your feet hurt you hurt all over don't you and jesus took that basin and he washed their feet because you see there was no servant there but it never entered the apostles mind to wash each other's feet they're too busy arguing over who's most important jesus laid aside his garment There is a glorious lesson there for us. Because it's an image of Jesus laying aside His robe of glory. He laid aside His dignity, but He did not lay aside His deity. He laid aside the splendor, the glory, and the majesty of heaven to come to earth and live just like we do, to serve us. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And he came to give his life as a ransom for many. To love as Jesus loved is to love with a selfless love. We live in a day and an age that puts too much, way too much emphasis on self. In our world, in our society today, we are almost conditioned to think it's all about me. If you read the Facebook article this week, or the article on Shelby County Today this week, or if you read the back page of the bulletin this week, that's what that article is about. They're all the same article, by the way. But that's what it's about. Selfishness. It's kind of an important thing. But Jesus said no to self. Jesus laid aside self so that Jesus could serve others. Remember, it was Jesus that said, let a man deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Write this down. It's on the final exam. There is no life so empty as a self-centered life. And as someone one time said, a fool in love with himself has no rivals. You see, real love is a love that's steadfast. Think about this point in time. The point in Jesus' life that this event takes place. Jesus knew that his hour was come. The time that he was going to depart out of this world. In just a few short hours, he's going to be hanging on a cross on Calvary's hill. He's going to, a few a few sentences later, he's going to tell them about the mansions he's going to prepare for them in the Father's house. Now let's think about this a moment. Let's put ourselves in Jesus' shoes. What would you and I have been doing if we had been in Jesus' shoes that night? Would we have taken that basin of water? Or would we have sat there and said, I don't have time to be washing somebody's feet. I'm fixing to be crucified. I've got to be thinking about what's going to happen to me. In just a few short hours, I'm going to be nailed to a cross. Hanging for the whole world to see. You expect me to take a basin and wash somebody's feet? And yet, the Bible says, Jesus knowing. It's in verse 3 of chapter 13. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things to His hands that he was come from God and that he went to God. Jesus knew what was happening. Jesus knew that dark Gethsemane was there. He knew that bitter Calvary was going to follow dark Gethsemane. He knew the shame, the rejection, the humiliation that was all going to come His way. And knowing all of that, Jesus Christ is still loving His disciples. You know, when everything's lovely, it's easy to love everybody, isn't it? But you know who else Jesus was loving that night? He was loving Judas too. Satan had entered the heart of Judas, but Jesus was washing His feet. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. He taught us to do good to those that despitefully use us and persecute us. I don't know about you, but I find that hard sometimes. That's one of those hard commandments of Jesus. But here in this passage in John 13, Jesus shows us how it's done. He washes the feet of Judas, the one who's going to betray him. Jesus is loving the disciples and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And while they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, Jesus is kneeling down and Jesus is washing their feet. Guess what? Those men in that room that night, they didn't deserve for Jesus to wash their feet. Jesus had a lot of other things to think about. Jesus had other troubles on His mind, but Jesus kept on loving. Because Jesus' love was steadfast. Beloved, real love is a love that's steadfast. I want you to look at that upper room. I want you to look at what took place in that upper room that night. Jesus didn't just talk about love. Jesus actually showed them love. Washing their feet, it's a small thing, it's an humble thing. It was insignificant, really. I mean, it's the kind of thing that only a slave would do in that day and time. But you know what? Sometimes there are those kind of jobs to do in the work of the Lord's church. There are jobs to do that are not necessarily glamorous. There are sometimes things that have to be done, things that are needed to be done, that are not the glamorous things to do. Now I don't know how many of you over the past few months have, driven down her street and seen this side of the building as you drove down her street, it was covered with black mold and mildew. Now, how many of you think that coming up here, hooking up a power washer and standing out there and power washing mold and mildew off the building is a glamorous thing to do in the Lord's work? I don't see any hands going up anywhere. It's not glamorous. But you know what? We had a man come up and do it. Johnny Berguet. You might want to thank Johnny after church. And say, Johnny, I appreciate you made the building look a lot better. Because driving down Hurst street, it looks beautiful on that side. It doesn't look like it's an unkept, uncared for place. It's not a glamorous thing he did. But it's an important thing. There's lots of things in the Lord's work that aren't glamorous. But they're things that are needed. And it's serving the Lord. Real love is a serving love. Serving love is a committed love. The kind of love that feels a personal responsibility in the church. The kind of personal commitment and dedication that takes ownership. And serving love is a love that's faithful. Here's what I want to ask you to do this morning, right now. I want you right now, by an eye of faith, I want you to see Jesus Christ. I want you to look right over there and I want you by an eye of faith to see Jesus Christ coming through that door, right there, that door. Walking in this door in bodily form is Jesus Christ. I want you to see Him walk in here and he's got a towel around him and he's carrying a basin of water and out of everyone in here he walks up to you and he looks you straight in the eye and with that basin of water he looks you in the eye and he says may I wash your feet and what do you say to him? When Jesus says, may I wash your feet, eyes full of love, how would you feel? How would you feel if Jesus, with that basin of water, eyes full of love, looks at you and says, may I wash your feet? What would you say? Well, our first reaction would be just like Peter. Oh, no, Lord. No, Lord, you can't wash my feet. But then you'd remember Peter. Peter. And so with hot tears flowing down your cheeks, you'd say, yes, Lord, yes, you may wash my feet. I want you to imagine Jesus untying your shoes, slips them off your feet, takes off your socks. And I want you to see those nail-pierced hands as He bathes and massages your feet this morning. How would you feel? How would you feel if Jesus actually did that? And then suppose that Jesus finished and He looked at you and said, My child, would you wash my feet? And you'd look at those feet. The ones with the scar left by the spike that held them to the tree on Calvary's hill those feet that walked the dusty roads of Palestine, those feet that swept that walked the swept, storm-swept shores of Galilee, those feet that never walked in sin, and you'd say, yes, Lord, gladly, Lord, gladly, Lord, I will wash your feet. We can't do that. We can't literally wash the feet of Jesus Christ this morning. But we can wash His feet by loving Him. Jesus said, By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Just a little bit later in that next chapter, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. We can wash the feet of Jesus Christ by living His kind of life. We can wash the feet of Jesus Christ by loving Him and loving each other with a steadfast, selfless, serving love. We can love Jesus Christ by making Jesus the Lord and Master of our lives. Because as I've said on a thousand times, this will make a thousand and one. If Jesus Christ is not Lord of all of your life, He's not Lord at all in your life. Make Jesus Christ the Lord of all of your life by living His kind of life, obeying His commandments. If there are changes you need to make to be living the kind of life Jesus wants you to live, this is your opportunity to come and let us help you with that as together we stand and while we sing.